Okay, well, let's start today. And uh, first of all, I want to mention is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, is, I was thinking about this today. You know, we have such a special, special uh, um, time to celebrate. Now, some people say, well, you shouldn't, re- uh, you shouldn't celebrate it. I think even the more so. Let me get this straight. You hear that okay? Is that better? I think even the more so we should celebrate. People say Easter is pagan holiday, and it is. I agree completely. But my thought is, is Resurrection Sunday, yes, maybe in the past people have celebrated Easter as a, uh, as a pagan holiday. But I believe Resurrection Sunday is a totally different holiday. And we take this time to recognize what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And I think to not recognize that is something that you're missing out on. You're losing the very thing that Christ came to do. That is the very essence of Christian life. Without Christ raising from the dead, we would never, ever See what? Our Christian lives. Heaven. We would still be on our way to hell. And what a special celebration that is. And it takes time to, you know, as I, as I think about it and I reflect upon it, and I've been thinking about the world that we live in today. You can look around us and you can see the world... Uh, you can see all kinds of problems in the government. You can see all kinds of problems in your family. You can uh, not immediate family. Maybe it's uh, unsaved relatives. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you're seeing it at your job and the people you work with. But the one thing that's always clear is what Christ came and did, and that is to seek and to save that whom, who who is lost. And as a Christian, I'm excited about that. There is great hope in knowing that Jesus Christ came and saved us. That He did rise from the dead. You look at the differences between all the other world religions around there. Look at Buddha. You look at uh, Muhammad. You look at some of the other uh, faiths out there that have different leaders, not one of them has the claim that he rose from the dead. And as we as Christians, we should celebrate the fact that we have a living God. Not someone that's dead, not someone that's not alive, but instead someone that we can worship and we can pray to. Someone that can answer our prayer. And that's exciting. That's something to celebrate. So we're going to go, and that's my little, <laughs> there's my little sermonette. Thank you very much. Uh, that's what all I have to say about Resurrection Sunday this morning. Well, I Usually, we're going to continue teaching on the book of Jude. Now, we talked about last week a little bit about the book of Jude. The funny, the interesting thing about the book of Jude, he was the brother of Jesus and James, Okay. So if you're looking at Jude, look at it from that perspective, okay? 
This was somebody that grew up with Christ. That knew His testimony. Can you imagine that for a second? Brother Ralphie, you had a sister, right? That you grew up with? Yeah. Uh, Miss Yolanda, you had what? How many sisters and a brother? Two and one brother? Can you imagine your brother being perfect? Now, maybe, mom, I don't know how mom treated your brother. But I had a sister that well, she would never do any wrong. <laughs> April was always that perfect child. And you know how bad that sometimes, even though I could see her imperfections, I would, Mom, Dad, look what she's doing! You know? Yeah, oh, there was. Big time, brother. There was big time jealousy growing up. Now, that's, that's long gone. Praise the Lord. I'm now the favored child. You know, there's no problem there. No, I'm just kidding. But the idea there is, can you imagine seeing someone who is literally perfect? Now, I say my sister is perfect. She wasn't perfect. She had a, her, her faults. She had her errors. But here's the thing. Jesus was perfect. And here is Jude and here is James. They both were part that wrote parts of the Bible. And they, each of them, what? Believed on Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? What if your brother stood up and said, I am God. I am Jesus Christ. I am the Emmanuel. How many times would you look at him and go, what is your problem, man? Mom, he needs to go to the psych ward. That's what we would probably say if our brother did that. But both of these brothers, they both, not only did they accept Christ as their Savior, but they also took on further roles in the ministry of Jesus Christ. As you can write here, they both wrote part of uh, one of the books of the Bible. Here's the dates that the uh, Jude was written. And if you want to take a wild guess, how many think, and you might be right, you could pick one of these dates and you might be right. Okay, when was the destruction of the, the temple? I hope I've ingrained this into your head. Yes, honey. 70 AD, okay? It's any time between 66 A.D. and 80 A.D. was the writing of Jude. So you can kind of, you know, if we were to take a test tomorrow, you would really, man, you could make, really make, you know? You know what I'm saying, brother? It would be super easy. So you could take one of those dates and it would be fine. I mean, that's, that's, like, that's like saying, you know, you could take Peter and say that who wrote second or third John? You could say Peter, James, or John. And you could pick one of those and you would be good. You know what I'm saying, brother? Amen. All right. The theme, and this is exciting. How many know what the theme of Jude is? There's a very famous, famous verse in the book of Jude. Ralphie, you should know this one. I'll give you a hint, all right? Earnestly. Earnestly. Put your hand down, honey. I hope you know this. You only wrote out my notes, typed out my notes. What was that? Yes, earnestly contend for the faith. Good verse, all right? I remember growing up, I read a book by uh, John R. Rice that said, Contending for the faith. All right, so the theme for the book of Jude is contending for the faith. Alright, so we're going to start reading here. I know you guys are totally bored out of your mind, but we're going to read the first four verses, and we're going to talk about the content of the book of Jude. And we find in verse 1 of chapter 1, of course, there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. 
It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Blessed when I give all diligence to write unto you the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should what? Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We think about a Resurrection Sunday and we think about the importance of what factor Jesus Christ plays into our faith. Here is the problem. Here is the, uh, the, the root of the problem with our day and age. There is a great falling away. There has become a what? Apostasy. There is people that believe in Jesus Christ, but they don't want to repent of their sins. There is people that believe their good works are going to get them to heaven. There is all kinds of things that... Jude is talking about here. I think Jude is probably the most relevant book for the New, New Testament Christian church there is today. And why is that? Because it's such a direct understanding of those last times. He says here, for there are, in verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares. One of the first things that we need to acknowledge is that not everybody that goes to church is going to be the person that's going to be ideal to lead. There's going to be people that are going to come in that are going to try their best to try to uh, lead this, the flock astray. When we as Christians look at those people, we need to determine, okay, what does God want us to do? We had Ted Alexander come, and if you missed it, uh, we do have those on Sermon Audio, and we also have them on our website. But it was a great message. He, had, <clears throat> he definitely had some really good points to bring out in the idea of sanctification, being set apart. And as we as Christians, we, if we let Ted Alexander come in and preach a message... That's not something that we would agree with. It's not something that we have an idea of how we should live. Our responsibility is not to let them creep in unaware. Do you understand that, Brother Juan? Can you translate unaware? All right. That idea is that, hey, we got to be careful who we bring into this church. Our job is to grow as Christians. Our job is to glorify God with our lives. If we bring in someone who has no desire to live for Jesus Christ, but instead they are to bring, what, glory upon themselves, or as we find in 3 John, Diotrephes, who what, wanted to bring preeminence in the church, he wanted to puff himself up, Look at me, right? What, that is when we have to say, no, our church is to be what? Filled with what Christ teaches us from His Word. Hi, Brother Oscar. Hi, Miss Reina. 
It says here in the second point, who were before or of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. What is grace? We know the definition of grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. But the question comes, is when, how do you turn the grace of God into lasciviousness? I'll give you a definition for lasciviousness. But before I give it to you, someone tell me what they believe lasciviousness is. Anybody know? Can you translate lasciviousness, brother? Brother Juan? Envy? No, not envy. Not envy. I'll give you this, Miss Miss Reina. Okay, you are got the right context. I mean, you understand the word, but you got the wrong context. Okay? Lasciviousness is, ready? I'm going to give it to you. It's one word. Looseness. Okay? Looseness. What does looseness mean? Okay? We take the idea of looseness. Brother, uh, Brother Lewis works in construction. I like to give that illustration because it's probably one of the best illustrations. When you're pulling something, uh, whether it be a chain or whether you be a rope, and there's what? Looseness or slack. What? Is that always good? No. Looseness shouldn't be something that you're going to have. I'll give you an example. Here's a perfect example. Whenever there's sometimes looseness, sometimes there's give. All right? Let me ask you this question. If there is give, give is sometimes okay. tire up, what happens? The bike chain will fall off because there's too much give. Okay? Slack. Slackness. Okay? So you learn another... uh, (laughs) There's so many complications for give, but you understand the point that I'm trying to make. There should not be slackness concerning... God's not going to be slack in His problems, but He's also not going to be slack... In his doctrine. God says this is the way it goes. The Bible says there's what? How many ways? How many ways? There's one way. That leads to life everlasting. The Bible says few there be that find it. When we look at God at the doctrine of Christ, there is no lasciviousness. There is no looseness. There is no slackening. Of the doctrine. 
You are either in the doctrine of Christ or you're far from it. When we look at men that come and preach God's word, we have to say, are they in the doctrine of Christ? I have to say that I personally had spent time. It was funny because if you know our church, you understand what we've been through in the last three, four years. You understand that our desire to be what Christ wants us to be is super important. And as I talked to Ted Alexander, he was surprised that all we wanted to talk about was doctrine and talk about Jesus Christ. And he was actually happy that we were. He says, most pastors, when we talk to them, he says, all they want to talk about is NASCAR. What the local sports team is playing. I could care less about the sports. All I want to know about is what's going to affect my life, which is Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus Christ and the importance, we should allow ourselves to say, are you in the doctrine of Christ? I was very happy to say, Ted Alexander was very strong in the doctrine of Christ. He had a very good understanding of the Bible. He really grasped the understanding of what God's Word teaches. And I, I have to say that, you know, when we look at our pastor, we should have that same understanding. Is he, is he looking to what? Turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Today, what does the world tell us? Oh, you don't have to follow that closely. You don't have to walk that closely to the things of God. You can go off a little bit and have a little fun and sin. You can drink a little alcohol. You can smoke a little dope. You can cuss. You can say dirty stories. You can go ahead and hang around with that crowd. But what does God say? He says, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Listen, there's even problems today. Listen, this is, there's, this, uh, there's this new common doctrine, even in some independent Baptist churches, of this idea of, ready for this? Oscar, this is going to be a hard one. Hyper grace. Meaning that God, He knew that we were just sinners. And so we can just go and continue in whatever sin we feel like. If you want to go commit adultery, you go commit adultery. If you want to go out and drink and get slobbering drunk and just be a horrible testimony, you go right ahead. God's hyper grace will take care of it. I don't know where they're getting their doctrine from, but I know, yeah. You know, my Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? As Romans 6.1 says, God, what? Forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer? I go back to what Brother Ted Alexander was talking about in this idea of the process of sanctification. We look at sanctification as this. I'm saved and now I'm perfect. No. It's going to take years. You might say, well, I know what I need to do. I know I need to be in church. 
man, I know I need to read my Bible. And I know I need to pray. And I know I need to give. And let's say that you get all those things taken care of. Woohoo! I'm now right. I remember when I was uh, climbing Pikes Peak, the mountain. And uh, there was this huge, it was a trail. It wasn't like I was, you know, real mountain climb, but there was a trail that I'd go up. And I remember looking at the top and going, wow, that's a far off. I remember climbing a little bit and thinking, I'm almost there. And I'd get to a plateau and then I'd look up again. Oh my goodness. I'm not there yet. I climb a little bit more. I look up. Oh, yeah, I'm here. Huh? There's more to go. And that's kind of our Christian life, folks. When we look at our Christian life and understanding that you're not going to be perfect, you're eventually going to realize that it's going to take time to develop that Christian walk. But the, it's not so much that you have to develop it's not so much that you uh, have developed it overnight. It's this idea that you are not going to give up. You're going to say, yeah, I failed here and I failed here and maybe I failed over here. But I know that I have to serve God. I'm going to take this time and say, God, please help me. I'm just a man of the flesh. I need your help. And God looks down and he says, wow. That person is depending on me. I'm going to help him in that area of his life. I'm going to help him overcome that sin. I'm going to help him overcome that indiscretion that he has in his life. When we have that spirit, man, no longer is there going to be looseness. Hi, Miss Sophie. How you doing? The grace of God is going to be the grace of God. We're going to understand it for what it is. So what is the first point here in the content of Jude? We find here the problem of apostasy. Why does stuff get crept in unawares? It's because people are not following the doctrine of Christ as close as they should. Secondly, here's some examples of apostasy. So you say, what is apostasy, Brother Harold? What does apostasy look like? What does an ugly face apostasy look like? Well, here's some examples. Ready? Verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. I'm going to read that again for clarification. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. Here's another example. Fallen angels of apostasy. Verse 6. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath received an everlasting change under darkness, under the judgment of that great day. Israel would fall in apostasy time after time. There was this cycle with Israel that was what? Prominent. What'd they do? What was the cycle of Israel? Anybody want to take a wild gander at what this cycle of how Israel did? Do you know it, Brother Mohan? You got a smile on your face. Go ahead. They obeyed for a while, then fell back, and then kept saying they promised they would obey. Right. 
Christ would say, all right, you know, this is the plan. This is the doctrine of Christ. He says, all right, you're going to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. What would they do? They would go out and they would follow it for a short while. Then they would fall away from Christ and they'd go serve their own gods. And eventually, what did God have to do? He'd spank them hard. He'd come in and he'd send in some wild uh, Comanches. I say that in a very loose term. Uh, He'd send in some people to destroy him. The Midianites, right? Uh, uh, the um, what was the one that they uh, had to dis- they, uh, the Hittites, right? Um, trying to think of another enemy, the Philistines. He would send these people in, and they would just oh man, they would just give them one over. They'd come back with a black eye and and, and uh, a few missing teeth, and God say, "All right, you see what I'm saying." You follow, you follow your own way. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to punish you. So the next thing they do is they turn around and they say, Okay, God, we're sorry. We ask you to forgive us. And they follow God for a short while. That is apostasy. The problem is some people never turn from their apostasy. The second example is in verse 6. It talked about angels. Who was a fallen angel? Anybody remember? Who? Lucifer. Lucifer was a fallen angel. What was the problem with Lucifer? He thought himself to be something that he wasn't. What's the verse, Oscar? We just learned it not too long ago. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the what? Form of God. Thought it not robbery to be what? Equal with God. You think about that for a second. Satan thought he could be equal with God. He thought he was better than God. And what happened to Satan? Satan was, Satan was not kicked out of heaven, but instead he was he just was he couldn't stand to be there any longer. Why? Because he didn't want to have to be around God. His sin was too much. And so we find here the second type of apostasy we find is in fallen angels. What's the next thing that Jude talks about here? And I'm almost uh, done with my time. We talk about Cain. Cain. Verse 11, it says, Woe unto them that have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. How many know who those three people are? Who was Cain? He was who? He was the Abel's brother. Who was the next one? Balaam. Who was Balaam? He was the prophet that cursed what? He tried to curse anyway. He said he had a donkey talk to him and tell him, well, you can't do that. Okay? And then you had Korah. Who was Korah? He rebelled against Moses and what? He decided to take a dirt nap. Okay, way, and the earth went and ate him up. Okay, what is he talking about here? He says, "Hey, listen, gone in the way of Cain. What did Cain do? He thought himself and his way better than Abel's way, and because of that or God's way, he decided to sacrifice what his 
Fruits and vegetables. God said what? No, there must be a blood sacrifice for what? Blood sacrifice? For the remission of sins. And so when she did that, and he allowed for that blood, instead of having the blood sacrifice, and God did not accept it, what happened? He got jealous of his brother Abel. And being jealous of his brother Abel, what happened? He began to get hatred in his heart. Bitterness in his heart. And before long, he slew his brother. This is apostasy. This is leaving the very thing. Bitterness and hatred should not be once named among Christians. But you know what? It is a lot. Another thing that he mentioned here was Balaam. What was Balaam? He tried to curse the people of God. Listen to me. The one thing you shouldn't try to curse is God's people. I feel, I, I was reading this week and I was thinking about, um, uh, Brother Alfie, you've probably seen some of this, so <laughs> forgive me for mentioning it twice. But in my devotions, I've been reading about how that David would cry out and say, God, how long wilt thou allow for my enemies to triumph over me? Listen to me, someday there is going to be a great reckoning. Barack Obama hates Israel. He hates the Jews. He wants the Jews to no longer exist. And you know what's going to eventually happen? It might not happen here on this earth, but he is going to reckon before God. I will never, ever, ever turn my back on the Jews. Why? Because they're God's chosen people. In the same sense, Christians are God's chosen people. You are my people. There is nobody else in this world that I would consider my family. I don't have a closeness to my, to my uh, grandmother or my grandfather or my cousins. I really don't know them. But I do know one thing. I know my Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no other time in the world where I'd like to be is on Sundays to be with my Christian brothers and sisters. And you know why? Because God has put that in my heart. Balaam didn't have that. And lastly, let's talk about Korah. Korah was apostate. And how? He was rebellious against Moses was just taking upon too much responsibility. When we as Christians, we should respect the pastor. We should respect the evangelist. We should respect it just for the fact, yes, they are sinners saved by God's grace, just like you. And just like you, they have a responsibility to have a ministry. But God has given them that office of authority. And when God says there's something that should be an authority, what should we do? We should respect it. And that is where God has given us the understanding that when you are rebellious against the things of God, when you are rebellious against authority, you are what? Apostate. Apostate. All right. Well, that's all I have for today. Let's close in order prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today that your word teaches us so much and how that we can be faithful to it. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you just please bless this church. God, give us a heart to want to listen to you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.